Hello, everybody. Turn this up in my headphones, Charles. Turning it up. Hello, 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 everybody, one and all. Welcome to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. Say one thing for Dylan from FTF. Say he's ready to talk some fantasy with his friend Charles. <laughs> Say one thing about Charles and he is ready. Say that he is ready to talk fantasy with his friend as well, Dylan. And Nailed not it. just any fantasy today, thank you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, because today we are delving deep into the world of the first law. And we're going to start throughout the next couple months here as we are taking a break from First Law to read other series. Uh, we're going to continue the conversation by going in depth into certain characters or, or moments or ideas. We haven't quite fleshed it out yet. But the one thing that we have fleshed out is our first conversation. Right, Dylan? Yeah. Today we're ready to... Be realistic about Logan Ninefingers. Mm -hmm. We're going to have a conversation that gives Charles and I the chance to talk openly and in a focused manner on the great character that is Logan Ninefingers from the First Law trilogy. And because we are talking openly after completing our buddy read of the first law trilogy that's uh, the blade itself before they're hanged and last argument of kings mm -hmm. we will have spoilers in this episode uh, that go through those first three books in the first law world so if you have not yet read any of those three books and now is a great time to go about reading those because those are amazing books mm -hmm. and uh, it's also a good time to <laughs> turn this down in your headphones so you don't get anything awesome about Logan Ninefingers spoiled for you. Very well said. Spoilers for the First Law Trilogy. Um, if you haven't read it, go read those books and then go back and listen to those episodes and then come here because um you know when it comes to episodes about the first law trilogy you can never have too many podcast episodes about the first law trilogy and uh, that yeah and that's what we're like going knives. to show here today yes <laughs> so yeah and i think something that charles and i were we're being careful about a few things when we were doing the first law episodes where we both read through the entire trilogy already before we got into it uh, for the show, meaning mm -hmm. like years ago, we both read the series already. So then we wanted to make sure we didn't spoil anything that's 
coming up ahead for anyone when we were talking about, let's say, the blade itself. We didn't want to spoil anything coming down the road in Last right. Argument of Kings. Right. And we also wanted to make sure that we gave everyone their due. You know, we didn't want to do the dog man dirty. We wanted yeah. to make sure that every <laughs> character got attention in the Buddy Reed episodes because they all deserve it as fantastic characters. I mean, yes. this is Joe Abercrombie we're talking about where we know that means compelling characters. And something that happens when you're trying to manage all that is you come away and say, you know, I think we got a lot more to say about all these characters. And I think a few more than Logan Ninefingers, who is just such an interesting and unique character, this almost uh, mm -hmm. philosopher's soul in some ways beneath uh, uh, a more barbaric exterior and mm. we're here to frame a conversation about logan around a few central questions aren't we charles that is right you know logan nine fingers big fan favorite for the the first law trilogy and you know we have to ask ourselves are we being realistic about logan nine fingers and we think about all the things that we like about him and the yeah. and the moments that happen in this episode and you know the objective that we're having with this conversation is basically like let's be real here how good is he really and that's the task as a person more than a character yes and that's we the task know he's that a great character set out for us today yes how good of a person is he for, over a character and dylan once you got a task to do mm -hmm. it's better to do it than live with the fear of it so why don't we right about that get right into some of these questions that we're exploring about about good old logan nine fingers or maybe not so good <laughs> Ooh, nailed it <laughs> Yeah, so we're thinking, if we're being realistic about Logan, then one of the questions is, who is Logan, really? Mm -hmm. Deep down, because there's a lot of things that Logan appears on the outside that we get so much of his internal monologue that it's like, okay, well, is he this awful dude that he sometimes reflects on, like, having been in the past and then maybe shows signs of throughout the series? And then... We've also got this question of what's playing out in his arc. Like, what is going on throughout the series of the First Law trilogy? And what does it mean about the extent to which Logan is a good character and the extent to which he, or sorry, is a good person? <laughs> mm -hmm. And the extent which he is a bad dude? Because it's interesting, Charles. I think you and I probably a lot of people have already listened to us talk in our buddy read episodes and we uh we were very mindful of a lot of ways in which logan rationalizes his behavior and explains mm -hmm. it to himself and all this kind of stuff and justifies it but i was talking to steven from phantology over either on twitter or on their, or they're on their discord or somewhere and yeah he was saying that a lot of people see Logan as actually like a very good person and mm. defend him in that way. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to see Logan as a good person, especially in the Blade itself, right? It's easy to see all the actions that he's done. He's very much kind of this almost like a martyr character where he's like, I've seen so much blood and all I can do is like try and do the right thing now. And I think a good example of that at the 
pretty much at the beginning of the blade itself is when Logan saves uh, Malachus Kwai. You know, that whole scene plays out where, you know, Kwai is really sick, I believe it was, or injured or something. And Logan's like, he's seen this before a bunch of times. You have to be realistic about these things. You know, it's written like he's going to just do a mercy kill and go on without him. And Logan is kind of in his own monologue, kind of accepting that and talking himself into it. And then it's subverted in that he's talking himself into saving him, throwing him on his back, giving him water when he needs it and like carrying him the long distance um, to the, to the great library. Um, And I think that's that first one where like, you know what? Logan's a changed man. He's trying to do good. And he did the right thing here. He left that poor cook pot behind. He made those sacrifices to save Kwai. Yeah. Gotta leave that cook pot behind. And that's a tragic moment for, I think for our, for us as readers, a lot of people find themselves really emotionally attached to that cook pot. Yeah. Like that's a thing that I was emotionally invested the in t- the yeah. cook pot. I was like, no, right. like Logan, Maybe like more than quiet and s- stares at the lonely cook pot being left behind. Yeah. It was very sad. Right. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting because this is a point in which Logan does not listen to his internal monologue telling him you have to be realistic about these things. Meaning, right. like, the realistic thing to do would be to leave him behind and to take the cook pot because, oh, he's almost dead already, all this kind of stuff. And not long before that, I believe, uh, he uses the same justification. You have to be realistic about these things to basically kill people, like, breathe fire on people, which is a weird moment yeah. in the blade itself. It's, like, never really revisited. But he, like, <laughs> he like is able to use his spirit's powers to, like, absorb fire and then spit it out at people. It's, like, <laughs> happens once. Um, and then he does have this internal monologue during that moment where they're attacked by, like, I don't know, just people out on the road. Breathes fire on them, kills them, all this kind of stuff. And, uh, I think that you get that juxtaposition of like he listens to you have to be realistic about these things rationalization and he kills people right Right. and then he later doesn't listen to it and he saves someone and that's something that I was tracking throughout the buddy read Charles is kind of like when does he listen to it when does he not listen to it and overwhelmingly Charles if he listens to the voice saying you have to be realistic about things he's doing something bad. He's doing right. something, yeah. Because it's interesting because we're reading it and we don't realize it in these moments. It's not till towards the end of Last Argument of Kings that we start to see like, you know, he's just kind of giving himself excuses sometimes. Yes. And this was his, because throughout the whole series, he takes his idioms and he uses them both in the context to do something and to not do something, to kill someone, right. to save someone, to run away, to stay and fight, to like make hard choices, to avoid hard choices. You know, he's always justifying things in his head with the same idioms over and over, but they mean different things based on what's convenient for him and what he really wants. And that's a side that's not really addressed by Joe Abercrombie because we're in Logan's head and he's Logan's not even aware he's doing it. You know, he's always... Um, convincing himself of of things and he's like in denial of it kind of and and it and it takes you know other characters like black dow to Mm -hmm. to to shine a light on that for logan because logan thinks he's like trying to do better he knows he's a bad guy and he's done bad things and he's 
oftentimes trying to say, oh, but I'm making the best of it. And it really upsets Black Dow, who's like, no, it doesn't. You're just saying that to justify whatever it is you feel like doing, you know? Right. You're not a good person. And that's yeah. coming from Black Dow. <laughs> <laughs> right. So there's that line that Black Dow gives at the end, which is, but you love to play the good man, don't you? You know what's worse than a villain, a villain who thinks he's a hero. A man like that, there's nothing he won't do, and he'll always find himself an excuse. And I think that that's what these, more than anything, that's what these idioms and these sayings and stuff like that are to Logan, is excuses and rationalizations for how he can continue to be violent while telling himself in his head that he's a hero and telling us as readers, because we spend so much time in his head that he's a hero. And that's how yeah. we're so easily deceived by Logan. Yes. I know the first time I was reading the first law, I was totally deceived <laughs> until last argument of Kings. And then there's these yeah. moments, Charles last argument is when it really starts coming into a uh, more clear Full view. perspective. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And there's really, there's a, that point where he's, uh, He's basically deciding to uh, kill folks when he's with the Union soldiers. And he's like, okay, I'm, I'm too deep in, deep in this at this point. And he's like, I got to kill these next four people. And there's something really interesting that comes up in his sort of the prose, but like his internal monologue, really, which is uh, all they were now were four tasks to get done. And we know uh, <laughs> what to do once we've got a task to do, right? right. We, we shouldn't live with the fear of it. We should just go kill them. And he's like, uses those kind of justifications to not run away. He's always using these justifications. Uh, another one that comes up earlier, I think that's big, is when he gets offered the the maker's sword by Baez. And he's right. like, I'm putting violence behind me. And <laughs> then... Baez is like, oh, yeah, I've got this great sword for you. And Logan actually justifies to himself that he should have it because he said, like, his monologue is uh, that um, it, basically it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it is right. the line. Sorry, I was looking for the quote while I was talking to you. <laughs> and it's like, that's such a classic, like, we've all said that at some point in our lives. And yeah. then we agree with it. Because it's like, yeah, oh yeah, well, there's been times where I felt that too. Sure, of course you need a sword. Sure. It's a fantasy novel. But what kind of stuff are you going to do once you have that sword in your hands? Sure, and I know, like, Charles. I've talked myself into things before, you know, like you're at a party or something. It's like, oh, I'll have one more slice of cake or something. That it, It's so-and-so's birthday, you know? It's like, it's my, you know, cheat day, whatever. You know, like, think, like the things we talk ourselves into, mm -hmm. you know, by using these idioms, these... um these phrases that don't really mean anything, but have all these like applications. And like for Logan, we see them coming and we love them and they're entertaining and they're funny and they're, um, yes. you know, they're exciting. And that's kind of helps keep the wool over our eyes for so long. It's like, Oh, he's finding that Northman barbarian philosophy to uh, apply it to this situation. And I get that. And it's funny and it's cool, you know? So, that carries him for so long. And we're talking about like how Last Argument of Kings kind of unravels that. And it's interesting to see how that decision to save Kwai comes back in Last Argument of Kings as well. Because um, Baez does that scene where Logan and Baez are 
talking for the last time in the trilogy. And Baez is like, oh, Kwai was Kwai's dead. And Logan was thinking back about the time he decided to save him and thinks about the cook pot, you know, and it's almost very much like, well, that was kind of like a waste. <laughs> and I think that's telling of um, Abercrombie. It's like the action that you did decide to do something good was so inconsequential compared to the times you decided to be bad. <laughs> you know, where it's yeah. like when it became time to do something, you chose to march all these Northmen like down to the Union and fight when you could have stayed behind. Like, you know, those kinds of decisions. And I thought it was just interesting to put saving Kwai back into perspective now that we've revealed mm. so much about about Logan. Yeah. The way to tie that back in, Charles, I do think that's that's an interesting point and to put it in the context of like what good have you really done in yeah. this whole trilogy, Logan? Like right. okay, yeah, there there was that one time where you, you saved the apprentice who ended up going on to be Ptolemy. <laughs> and, uh, and cause way more destruction than, but you know, not Logan's fault. Couldn't have known that would happen down the line. But even let's cancel that out and say Logan tried to do something good, and let's say it went came to nothing, which is being giving him uh, being more generous than we need to. Yeah, uh, he he really has not done any good over the course of the trilogy so even it's like okay bethod seems to be a pretty bad dude based on some things uh anyway i'll say <laughs> that that's if that's your read that's fair and then i'll also say that by the end of it even if logan dethrones bethod can we really make the case that the end result of black dow being on the throne is a good one. <laughs> and, well, even before uh, that, him getting on the throne yes. and deciding to march to the Union. Can we, like, yes. everyone was kind of confused by that decision, and he's always like, I've got scores to settle. Might as well keep going. And it's like, dude, you're the one that tells everyone to leave fighting to people that are dumber, yeah. like you, and yet you're not, yeah, you're not listening to your own advice. And what's his logic when he makes these decisions? He's like, oh, I've got scores to settle. It's like, that's the weakest excuse ever. That's like me going in for more cake. <laughs> it's like, it's well, my birthday. Yum. <laughs> I've got scores to settle. The, the cake analogy is an interesting one, Charles, because I think it is like Logan has a sweet tooth for violence. It's yes. like he, uh, I mean, he feels like, okay, maybe I could, I could overdo it. And maybe I don't need to keep going back and keep going back for more of this. And at the same time, he just finds a way to rationalize and justify. And that scores bit is the biggest one. I think mm. for me, Charles is like that one gets smuggled in <laughs> so subtly and so quickly. It's just like all of a sudden in the, like the beginning of last argument of Kings, it's like him and Pharaoh are coming back uh, as part of this. Uh, we called them the fellowship of the seed yeah. and, you know, nothing got accomplished on that journey and they get back. And the only thing maybe good that could have come out of it is that Pharaoh and Logan had some moments where it looked like maybe the two could kind of have a relationship that's mutually beneficial. Right. And then they just can't really get on the same page there. There's some of these misunderstandings. And it kind of ends with like, okay, well, I've got nothing left but scores, so I might as well go settle them. 
it's like, like that no, makes zero sense. Yeah, <laughs> that makes no don't. sense at all. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, no, you could just go anywhere but back to the north to settle scores. That I mean, you don't even have to stay with Pharaoh. Just do anything but go back to the place where you have to be violent. But he chooses to, and he doesn't. It's kind of interesting with all no this. No one's pulling him in any direction. He's not like, yes. up to that point, you could maybe say he was being pulled along. Like, you're the only one that can speak to spirits, and that's why I need you to come on this thing. And you're the strongest one here with experience and fighting, so we need you to be the fighter here. But now it's like, oh, that's done. No one needs or wants anything from you in this world. And the people that do think you're dead. So it's like you have a clean slate to live your life however you want. And it doesn't take him. They're not even off the boat. And he's like, I've got scores to settle in the north. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, how is this the same guy who is just telling Giselle, like, go settle down with someone and live a happy life in obscurity? Right. And, and then, yeah, go because, ahead. Well, I was just going to change the subject, but. Because I wanted to talk about more about his relationship with Giselle, because you could say like he's at his most endearing in Before They're Hanged with the yes. Fellowship of the Seed. Like mm-hmm. he takes on the role of like chief morale officer and he's like, right. you do little deeds of kindness every day and you win them over. And he successfully won over Giselle and Pharaoh, of all people, like won them over, earned their respect, their admiration, their love, basically. And he still can't accept any of that. And he chooses violence. So, I mean, one of my favorite moments in Before They're Hanged is when he's talking with Giselle and he kind of takes Giselle under his wing and it's changing perspectives. And you can tell like Giselle's like, why is this guy looking at me weird and like doing weird stuff and saying weird things and then to watch that slowly meld into a meaningful relationship you know and we're so in love with those moments and it's it it buys us more into this idea that logan is good yeah and i think that's a great point charles and maybe we've been definitely banging the drum on the logan is a bad dude uh point because i think big picture step back if we're asking that question he does so many bad things that it's hard not to feel like he he leans that way and at the same time if we're trying to make an effort to balance the scales a little bit here Mm -hmm. he shows a capacity for good throughout before they are hanged and in some ways that's part of what's so tragic about logan as a character is that he is so capable of all these of showing all these good qualities of relating to other people of being a good leader and even i would say like change helping change Giselle for the better mm-hmm. which is a very hard thing to do i mean if <laughs> that sure. is a thick goal to get through and he actually is able to I think play a big role in helping Giselle become yeah, I a mean, better he, person. He teaches him humility. Logan's like, Oh, I've pissed myself with fear. I've begged for my life. I've been wounded. I've cried like a baby. Like I've done all of these things. And he's like, I have no doubt I'd be a better place if I'd been killed years ago. And I hadn't been. And I don't know why. Like these are the things that he's kind of lamenting on when he's on the fellowship of the seed. So you, see the side to him this compassionate side and you feel for him but what like i think what tips the scales back towards bad is that you know he's making the best of the situation that he's in but he'll say those things and then the minute he 
gets to choose his own path, he goes towards Carleon, you know? So it's like, um, oh, when you're on, when you're in this situation and it's easy for you to be good and there's no one to kill, you're a, a, a nice guy. But the minute you're going down this, like, you have the option to choose and the world's your oyster, you're going back to the north to, to fight and kill, you know? So, and, you know, Abercrombie, I think, always loves to find, like, scathing ways to present humanity sometimes and i think his way of doing that with with logan is like look here's a man that has all the virtues that we like in someone who's trying to redeem themselves but he's also kind of like black dow says he's like the most evil of all he's coming up with excuses and playing the hero when he's not a hero you know like i think that's what abercrombie is subtly weaving in in these moments he's like yeah he's good now when it's easy to be and he he has the capacity for it no one's all evil or all good but when the chips are when you just give him nothing to do he's gonna go off and kill people and find a reason to justify it you know yeah that's an interesting point that you make charles that and before they are hanged the situation that he's in basically he he'd be dead if that crew can't band together especially when Baez is out of commission right so he basically has to start being a good person and a good leader even to have a chance to survive during that juncture but when push comes to shove he's i know you mentioned he starts going back toward carleon mm-hmm. and i think that uh, a part that's always stuck out to me about that going back to carleon piece is uh, you remember the line where it's he was like the leaves on the water carried along down toward Carleon and nothing he could do about it. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, nothing you could do about it, Logan. <laughs> I mean, and that part, I think on my first read, I was like, that's when things started clicking for me that it's like, this guy just makes excuses for himself constantly. For sure. And, uh, it's and Blackdale is more evil, but he's very direct about it, and he knows yes. who he is, and that's why he's so infuriated by Logan. It's like we're the same, but you're just not acknowledging it. You know, you're guising it under being good sometimes and playing the hero, and that makes you even worse than me, which is such an interesting concept. You know, like Logan is a likable guy more often than not in this series. Yes. And we don't really get the full context of his actions until he starts having his own choices to make and he choosing violence. And then, like, these last telling lines, like you said, it's like, oh, I'm drifting towards Carleon. I can't stop oh, no. it. Oh, no. <laughs> and everyone's <laughs> like, why don't you stay? Like, we could be in a relationship, you know? Like, <laughs> and Giselle's like, I, I think you're cool, man. You can hang out here, you know, like. He could do anything, but he's like, nope, Carleon calls me and I, nothing I can do about it now. <laughs> Better to do it than like, <laughs> to live with, to the, fear live with the fear of it. It's like, dude, what? <laughs> no, no one gets it. And yeah, um, that's just, you know, there's also this idea of, if we're ready to talk about it, the idea of the bloody nine, which is, gets explained more in before they're hanged as well. When he's sitting around the campfire and explaining what that is and you feel even more bad for him in these moments where he kind of like blacks out and the bloody nine takes over and you're like how much agency does 
Logan Nine Fingers have when he becomes the Bloody Nine. You know, I don't. It's never clear. Like, there's all kinds of things. Like, Crumicky Fail says he's loved by the moon. Uh, other people just say he's a, a not nice guy. So it's like, what, what, like, what's really going on? You don't know, but the way I've always read it is that he has no agency in those moments. And that almost makes him more sympathetic. Right. When he's the bloody nine, he's just uh, leaves on the water, carried along (laughs) down toward wherever the bloody nine wants to go. So I think, I think it's interesting to consider. And that's a whole separate episode would be like theorizing about what the bloody nine actually is. But I think the first time and probably the second time most kind of stuff and probably still the third time if I had to bet, I see it as kind of this like alternate personality that takes over. And at the same time, it's kind of interesting to put on the lens of what if this isn't an alternate personality? Right. What if this is just like when Logan gets mad and <laughs> he starts doing really messed up things I, I I think that's a whole nother conversation. And uh, at this but, point, after finishing last argument of Kings, I wouldn't put it past Logan yes. that that was the case. I'm not a hundred percent convinced, but it could very well be that this is just Logan when he's mad, and he convinces himself like, "Oh, I just black out. Yes. Like I don't I don't know what I'm doing in those moments. I come to later, and everything's di- and everyone looks at me funny." Well, it's like that could be yet another one of the excuses you tell yourself when you commit these horrible acts of violence. Right. And something that I was noticing a lot is these moments when he's the bloody nine. And it's like there was some like small voice that was ringing out saying, no, don't kill that person. But then he didn't listen. And it's like, wait, wait, wait. Is Logan there or not? Right. Like Logan has some sort of sense. Like he recognizes the dog man uh, and he recognizes Tolduru Thunderhead just a little bit. But the bloody nine doesn't care. And it's like, okay, if it's an outright alternate personality, why is Logan still vaguely there or has like a tiny voice that just doesn't have any power. So mm-hmm. I, I don't want to dive too deep into like speculating about what the blade nine is or isn't. Uh, Cause I think that's a whole nother conversation. What I do want to say is yeah. even if the blade nine is a totally different personality that Logan has no control over, then l- what Logan has to take the blame for in some ways is the fact that he he is aware that the blade nine's more likely to come out when he's in these more dire situations and when he's more angry and all these kind of things. And he keeps ending up in these situations. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. Well said. Like if you knew that you lose all sense of agency and you start killing the people you love, it's like, well, maybe I shouldn't, be in combat situations anymore (laughs) like it's not that hard to avoid um combat situations you know especially if all your enemies think you're dead (laughs) and you're right in another part of the world you know it's not a hard thing to avoid but um you know given the choice he he keeps going and he acts like it's inevitable and it's never is yeah and it's charles something that is super interesting to me about Logan is that I do think all these like these denials, all these justifications, all these they're happening at a level that isn't 
observable to him that that's what he's doing. Yes. He's not aware that well he's said. making justifications for himself throughout. He's genuinely trying as a person to be better, to do better. Mm-hmm. And somehow he finds himself not doing that anymore. So it's not like, I don't see him as this like hypocritical person who's like, I say this and then I just do whatever. He's like legitimately trying and somehow his efforts keep going awry. And something that sticks up, sticks out to me there is the fact that he's constantly considering like, am I a bad person? Am I evil? Am I someone who can change? And he, when he meets up with Giselle again, another line that sticks with me or, or a set of lines is when he asks Giselle toward the end of Last Argument of Kings, am I an evil man? And then Giselle responds with, you, you're the best man I know. And this raises so many complexities about Logan, I think, in the fact that, like, what what does it mean that he's able to sort of be this like paragon of virtue in Giselle's eyes and guide Giselle in these directions that are, you know, Giselle had a lot of, (laughs) a lot of way to go in terms of being able to grow and get better, but he really did. And, and I know we talked about some before, but I don't know if we fleshed it out. Like uh, how does it tip the scales for Logan at all to the fact that he's able to set an example for some folks and they're able to do better than him. In yeah, terms of but the one he won over most is Jazal, and Jazal yeah. ends up in a position where it almost worked against him. Like it doesn't matter because it got him in trouble with Baez. So it's like, great job. You caused Jazal to go through character growth when he he didn't need it. But no, I think you nailed it on the head when you're like, he doesn't realize that's what he's doing. Like he's genuinely trying to be better, but it's his own personality that he's guiding towards he's making these violent decisions and he doesn't even realize his own agency which is like is what frustrates black dow and it's what like we may have missed in the first two books and then we're finally getting in the third book of like oh yeah like he is doing these things you know and and the question is what's worse (laughs) who knows like Mm. how much how damaging is logan just as someone who thinks they're always doing better and improving and is a and is a is like his own martyr yet continuing to do horrible acts of violence or someone like black dow who you can never trust and it's always bad it's like who's who's worse for society and you know it was always interesting to me when um logan became king i always thought that was interesting i was like he was so happy to let dogman be the yeah. captain and then when it comes time to become king he's like okay like chromic fails shouting it so i guess i'm king now like mm-hmm. that was another decision that i was like i would have thought he would have turned it over to the dog man like this does not sound like something the logan that we've heard to give all these um you know isms and and um, platitudes like we wouldn't expect him to then be like, yeah, I should be king. I can lead people. I'd be good at that, <laughs> you know. But he does. He takes the kingship and he leads people to war in a foreign land. That it's like what? Because you said you would to Wes, who you barely met, like or Jazal, or like what? What do you owe any of these people? So 
I just was like, I always that always struck me. Like, what what do you take of of Logan being king? Right. I mean, it's along the same lines as what we've been talking about. I think with this, we as fantasy readers have an easy time. I know I did on the first read and and subsequent reads too, accepting this idea that if everyone's chanting that someone's now the king, like, of course they become the king. We've seen that in other fantasy novels that I won't name to keep from spoiling <laughs> those other series, but I, you know, we've, we've potentially seen stuff like that. I want to go and then the, I want to right. scream it so bad, but I'm not going to. I know. <laughs> in pretty popular series. <laughs> yeah. And right. So it's like, and in those series, maybe that person, becoming it was it wasn't so bad and we're like okay well that's how it happens and for logan it's kind of this piece similar to what we've been talking about of yeah like the pressure's on or there's some sense that you should do a thing but you also could just not like you also <laughs> could just say no hey no the dog man is is actually i'm gonna make him king or you could leave and say, or some way, like say, no one can set the record that the dog man is your without second. bias being there, <laughs> right? So I think, right? You remember when Logan had three trees as his second, and that was mm-hmm. established. It was very clear that when Logan was presumed dead, that three trees is now the chief, right? Yep. It got worked out relatively easily, um, <laughs> all things considered. And if you establish a dog man's your second, which no one would bat an eye at and you leave as Logan, and you're just gone, then guess who's in charge? Someone who's a way better person than you. Yeah. So he has these options, but he just doesn't see them. And because he doesn't see them, we as the readers don't get these moments of Logan considering it. So we often don't consider it ourselves, too. Like, that is a legitimate option that Logan could just give it to the dogman. It doesn't even come up for him. And that's, he never, he doesn't have that second level of questioning when it so happens that he's getting put in a position where he has more opportunity to end up in a like leading people into violence and leading himself into violence, I think. Right. And it's interesting that you compare him to Dogman because um Dogman is someone who when he thought Logan was dead, remembered him fondly and adopted a lot of those platitudes in his own chapters. You know, it's like better to like do it and live with the fear of doing it. You know, like you could see the influence that Logan had on Dogman positively and throughout the first two books. And then we get into, um, a last argument of Kings. And even now Dogman is like, so thrilled to see that Logan's alive and is like, is like wildest, craziest dreams have come true that his best friend is back from the dead, you know, like, and that so quickly turns into this thing of like what are we doing here why are we doing this like all this blood and violence and dogman is i think objectively like on we think of him more as a nice er guy anyway like everyone seems to like him and he's not like that ambitious but he's capable and likable and he's never shown himself to be violent outside of like when they have to to be in combat Mm -hmm. and he's starting to think about like 
Like, we should be avoiding combat. Like, this has not gotten us anywhere. It's just gotten more people back to the mud, you know? And, like, how many friends has he had to bury through all of this? And then Logan's making right. decisions to keep doing it. And um, it's it's what inevitably tears them apart. And Dogman becomes this tragic character because all his friends are dead and Logan abandons him in the union. Logan's like, well, someone's got to stay here. It's like, does someone have to stay here? Like, for what reason? You know? And like, how do you justify that? You know? And Dogman is just kind of abandoned. He is. And I've been thinking about this bit you've been bringing up, Charles, about like the Dogman being in charge and then the other bit so yeah, Logan is aware of the fact when the Dogman is in charge briefly that it's better that the Dogman is in charge and he reflects on how Dogman's a better person and things are going to be just under a leadership that is less likely to cause terrible blood or right. like tons of blood. And then... It's similar sort of Logan likes these roles, right? He was under Bethod for a long time as the champion mm-hmm. and just kind of put in this situation where he's fighting all the time. And then as soon as he gets separated from the his crew in the blade itself, he seeks out uh, Baez because there's a Magi who the spirits warn have his has his own purposes yeah and we learn all about those purposes yeah. right we're mm-hmm. just uh, he wants to be more powerful than <laughs> juvens <laughs> yeah i love that line yeah <laughs> so oh right bias has his own purposes and logan doesn't even ask what those purposes are as well, he bias goes another to, step forward he's like i don't want to know yes. Like that right. was the relationship that they had. And this comes back to Logan's agency. Like, okay, what's worse, choosing to do something bad or choosing not to know so that you can do it and feel good about like having that plausible deniability of like, oh, well, I was just being pulled by Baez. I had no choice. It's like, like Baez would share with you what he wanted you to do. And <laughs> it's like you were the one that wanted it to be anonymous so that you could keep doing whatever it was that you were doing. You know, Logan's <laughs> desire to give up agency as a way to um, continue to be violent is a super interesting arc. Yeah. And here's another piece that I've been thinking about, Charles, mm-hmm. is if you were someone who was put in charge of what Logan should be doing for you, and you were kind of getting at this already uh, earlier, mm-hmm. it's like, what kind of tasks are you going to give this man who <laughs> will do them without uh, living with the fear of them? Yeah. What kind of tasks are you going to give this hulking warrior who's the most legendary warrior in all of the North, which is known <laughs> for its legendary warriors? You're going to put a sword in his hand and you're going to tell him to fight because that's what he's perceived as being good for. I mean, right. that's what Bethod used him for. That's what Baez certainly used him for in addition to talking to the spirits. And then that's, I mean, basically what the Dogman has to use Logan for because he's, that's what he is kind of seen as best for. So I think that plausible deniability piece yeah. that you're talking about with Logan is like another thing that's not happening for him necessarily on a conscious level is mm. he's 
walking around as this giant amazing warrior with this <laughs> reputation behind him and saying oh like just do whatever you want with me as the person who d- like follows your orders <laughs> yeah. it's like what kind of orders are they gonna give you logan <laughs> what do you think yeah he's like just don't ask me to fight people because <laughs> like, i'm done with that life yes. <laughs> it's like <laughs> he's like whatever you say boss up oh, i guess i have to do this now <laughs> what is happening to you logan there's like so many opportunities you know it's it's so true he kind of not consciously is orchestrating these situations for himself you know and that's what makes him so interesting it's like how a reader could kind of overlook that and what i overlooked for two whole books because i was like oh Oh, logan's such a nice guy like he's he's just trying to help (laughs) everybody out and he's trying to do better and you know, he's developed these philosophies as a way to do better. And it comes from this like barbaric, innocent background. But he's trying to make a philosophy for himself, you know, and you and you sympathize with him that way. But then he makes himself he goes as far as to make himself king of the north. You're like, what? This guy who seemingly has no ambition uh, assumes the crown and, and sends Dogman packing at the end. You're so mad that he did the dog fan dirty. Well, Charles. I'm thinking more about that now. It's like, what reason did he have to do that? You know, I just feel like he couldn't stomach having Dogman around anymore. Like they had that falling out where Dogman was like, "Why are we here? Blood gets more blood." And then Logan's like, "You know what? Stay behind." And I think that's just another way Logan can plausibly avoid that kind of agency about what he's doing because Dogman's hitting too close to home so we got to kind of push him out so we can keep being the king of the north and and it's like settling more scores was like what he was talking about doing he's like I imagine those calls are still running rampant around there and the breath odd sons are still out there and right. uh you know and Dogman's like what and he says you know what Dogman stay here <laughs> I'm gonna go yeah. do king things it's crazy that's an interesting point, Charles. And yeah, it's another one of those things of like, if you ask Logan why he's making the decision, he probably thinks he's making it because he's like, no, we need someone to stick back. Yeah, he's my trusted, but he's my best he's, friend. Yeah. I trust him more than anyone. Right. He speaks Northern. I mean, he speaks Union. Like, mm-hmm. he's perfect for the role. But it's like, you could have put anyone there or no one there. Like, no one cares <laughs> about you guys. And then, mm-hmm. you know, like... You have Jazal, like Jazal's on your side, like that's a good point too. Like, yeah, like literally, the the king of the union thinks that you're the best man he's ever met, and you're saying no, we need to keep them on good terms. Like, how <laughs> will we keep them on good terms? Like, th- at least the person Logan would think is the most powerful person in the entire nation adores him. So, <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting observation, Charles. I think, yeah. And and we've talked a lot about this sort of we're so ready for two books, like we've been saying, at least <laughs> probably more than that, uh, maybe two and a half or so. We are bought in on this Logan redemption arc idea because we've seen so much of this, Charles, right? We've gotten this. We've got how many people have we heard with that classic Logan backstory line right the i fought 10 single combats i won them all but i fought on the wrong side and for all the wrong reasons right uh, that whole bit right i've been ruthless and brutal and a coward i've stabbed men in the back okay we've heard that so many times 
but that's backstory. We as fantasy readers <laughs> accept that, and then we're ready for you to redeem yourself. And we have Joe Abercrombie almost flirts with that arc. Yes. Right? Yeah. He plays <laughs> He plays with the idea of having that be the arc. And then he will say it, Charles, he subverts it. Yes. He, he reverses it. Yeah, when the he, chips are down for Abercrombie, he will take that opportunity to skewer <laughs> like what we think <laughs> about certain positive aspects of humanity. It's like, oh, you think Chazal has this amazing arc? Well, um, he was naive for too long and was being played the fool. Or, oh, you think Logan is like a nice guy? Uh, well, he's still power hungry. You know, like all these moments to skewer like our conceived notions of that fantasy redemption arc it has happened in First Law. Well said, Charles. And something that sticks out to me, it really stuck out in this read, is there's a line where Logan Ninefingers says to Jazal, I believe, and before they're hanged, and that's right in the midst of like, this is going to be real redemption arc, right? Mm -hmm. When we're in before they're hanged. Those are Logan's best person moments. Um, yes. Even if not his best character moments, because I think his best character moments totally happened in Last Argument of Kings. <laughs> but he says to Giselle, doing better next time. That's what life is. And that quote on the surface is such a great little Logan axiom, right? Mm -hmm. You do something wrong. Mm -hmm. I see and you're going. Then, yeah, right. You do something wrong. And then the next time you'll get it right. The next time you'll do it better. And Giselle takes that to heart. We as readers think... I, I've said before, Logan Ninefingers has changed my life. Like his, <laughs> you got tasks to do. Oh, better do it than live with the fear of it. That keeps me from procrastinating sometimes. Right. So there's wisdom in these things. But the doing better next time, that's what life is. For me this time, I thought, well, next time never comes. Yes. Isn't that such a convenient excuse? Yes. Like, oh, we'll do better next time. This time wasn't so great. But it's all about intending to do better next time. Right. And then when next time finally comes around, it's the same story. Oh, well, it's always about trying to do better next time. Oh, no. I I'm going to Carly on. Someone help me. No. Yes. <laughs> well, next time I'll do better. And I'm like, so this this line for me became the almost the the quintessential Logan Nine Fingers mm. line or kind of like the defining line, maybe not the quintess quintessential is probably like, you have to be realistic about these things. But the defining line for me in Logan's arc is this, doing better next time, that's what life is. Because I think he just, he always intends that. He always wants to do better next time. But Charles, when is he going to do better this time? <laughs> that's a great question, Dylan. And we wait to see it. I mean, it never happens. This time at never comes. Not, at least not in the first Law trilogy. That much we know. But who knows what may or may not be in store in the future. That's right. Uh, Very ominous so. ending for Logan Nine Fingers. You know, I always love that part. It's like, what? You think you can go off and, and come back and expect things to be unchanged? It's like you've done nothing but create scores and, you know, rivals and people and, and blacked out. You got to give credit to Black Dow. He's one of the few people that 
that has seen <laughs> through Logan. Like Charles. all these like Dogman, Jazal, Baez, like they all are like, oh, he's such a great guy. And then Black Dow sitting there like, does no one see this guy for what he is? <laughs> he's a horrible human being. Charles, you love Black Dow. He won me over the second time <laughs> around, you know, like the second time around. I'm like, this guy is more like aware than I gave him credit for. <laughs> like, he's a horrible oh, person. Yeah. Terrible. Horrible. Yeah. But he knows what he's about, and he knows what others are about. Like, I love the moments he had with Wes, and it was like, man, if you earn Wes's, re- I mean, Black Dow's respect, then you know you're in trouble. I got a quote, Charles. I got yeah. a quote. Uh, I'm going to editorialize one word to keep our clean rating, okay. but I think they'll figure out where it happens. <laughs> it's, you know you're in some sorry crap when Black Dow starts smiling. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fantastic line. <laughs> I think that one's in last argument. Yes. Beautiful line. So. He's, oh, yeah. I mean, Black Dow is... I think there's a case to be made that Black Dow is far worse than Logan for what it's worth. But mm-hmm. I think that the you know, the thesis in some way... I, I doubt Joe Abercrombie would say that the first Law Trilogy has a thesis. But <laughs> the one of the points or themes or whatever does depend on that line we quoted earlier i think about this like logan's in some ways worse than black dow because oh, he yes. thinks himself that's a, a hero. critical critical line for logan's arc you know every character kind of has their last few moments in the last like 20 percent of last argument of kings and like that's one of the last things mentioned about logan so it's like that is kind of like his that's like the lack of a better word thesis of his arc or like you know what's worse a black dow type or someone who acts like a black dow type but thinks they're a but like makes the justification that they're a hero you know and we'll and, leave you with that question our wonderful listeners to reflect on that's Holy right Charles. that's for the listeners to decide i mean we've We've spent a lot of time today being realistic about Logan Nine Fingers, but in the end, such a well-written character, yeah. so much charm, so much, um, like, uh, such a unique character in fantasy. You know, like we've we've praised him since like the second episode of our podcast. We've been praising mm-hmm. Logan Nine Fingers and uh, really one of the best characters of fantasy. Oh yeah, the first. Yeah, I- that bit about Logan Nine Fingers changing my life was in the first episode. Oh, I thought I think, that was too. the character series one. We yeah, he came up again in that one. So right. I mean, and all of that is to say, you know, we've been pretty hard on Logan as a person uh, in this episode, mm-hmm. and we are some of Logan's biggest fans as yes. a character, as a compelling character, Absolutely. as one of our favorite characters that we've ever read. Right. I and mean, it's these complexities there. about yes. him that he's not even aware of that we can't be wholly confident. We can only speculate yeah. that adds to his like amazingness as a character. And, <laughs> say one thing for Joe Abercrombie. Say he can write compelling characters who are not the best people. And I think Logan is <laughs> That is a very strong skill that Abercrombie has. <laughs> <He is. sighs> well, shall we um call it a day and play that sweet, sweet outro music? 
I think I'm ready for some sweet, sweet outro music, Charles. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you like what you heard today, check us out on Twitter. That's uh, at the FTF Podcast with a number one at the end. That's a great way to show us some support is to hit us up over there. Um, We are also on Facebook and Instagram at the FTF Podcast. You can always shoot us an email at the FTF Podcast at gmail.com now dylan if someone wanted to support the show in a way that was free and super super helpful and they just so happened to be listening on apple Podcasts, what kind of option do they have available to them toss five stars to our podcast you can just scroll down on that page for friends talking fantasy podcast until you see those stars and we'd love it if you clicked five of them. That would be the, the best amount to click. And mm-hmm. if you do have time to leave a review, that is even more appreciated. But just listening, make it to the end of this episode and hear me ramble about stars and reviews. That is more than enough. We love you. We love you so much, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, go forth and conquer, friends. <laughs>